Hello everyone, welcome to the Archicast. This is episode 23, entitled Art as a Natural Biological Function. Continuing with the series uh, from The Artist's Reality, Philosophies of Art by Mark Rothko, probably written around 1940-41, this revelatory book discusses Rothko's ideas on the modern art world, art history, myth, beauty, the challenges of being an artist in society, the true nature of American art, and much more. The artist's reality also includes an introduction by Christopher Rothko, the artist's son, who describes the discovery of the manuscript and the complicated and fascinating process of bringing the manuscript to publication. The introduction is illustrated with a small selection of relevant examples of the artist's own work, as well as with a reproduction of a page from the actual manuscript. The artist's reality will be a classic text for years to come, offering insight into both the work and the artistic philosophies of this great painter. Today we are looking into art as a natural biological function. Why paint at all? A question well worth asking all those thousands who, in the catacombs or the garrets of Paris and New York, in the tombs of Egypt or the monasteries of the East, have throughout the ages covered millions of yards of surface with the panoramas of their imaginings. The hopes of immortality and reward, I dare say, might claim their share of motivation. Yet immortality is nightguardly, and we know that in many ages the dispensers of official immortality have specially withheld their gifts from the makers of images. No man of business would admit that the possibilities of gain are ever worth such risk. Consider, too, the hardships which are endured. In our age, starvation is the lot assigned to the devote of this practice. Yet, this is a happy situation when compared to the legal persecutions by Byzantinium or the promise of hellish fires by the Jewish, Mohammedans and early Christians. These have been slightly endured and cunningly circumvened. Surreptitiously and in the face of dangers, the practice was continued and art has survived. Fortunate indeed been those artists living in the golden age of Pericles, or patronized by the cultural merchants of the Renaissance or by the iconoclastic soldier poets of the Trecento. Yet, should we survey the fortunes and honors of the half-dozen who have survived and traced the labors of the thousands who toiled anonymously on the vast extent of their work, and who dreamed that they might be as great as their masters, and should we leave their lives of all of those whom fortune did not favor to even this extent, we should see that the glory and the rewards of even those opulent times were not as general as we like to believe. 
and think of those in the totalitarian regimes of our own day. How many of them have fled their native lands, living in poverty, in danger, uprooting their growth and their own soil, refusing to be strangled by their prescriptions or proscriptions based upon their art. We may well say that all of these lived in the delusion of ultimate success. Men may be blind to some factors of their existence, but not to all. They may have been well deluded as to their place in the eternal edifice of art, in the significance of their mortar, but they could not have been very well deluded of their earthy rewards. Examples to the contrary are too convincing, and anyone who believes anything in this sort knows neither art nor the extent to which it involves conscious sacrifice. The foregoing is not a plea for sympathy. The artist has accepted his fate with open eyes, and I do not believe that he wishes any charity in relation to his self-assumed sacrifice. He wants nothing but the understanding and the love of what he does. There can be no other rewards. The foregoing, therefore, is not in the spirit of asking for a charitable contribution, but rather the clearing of the way for what is really the motivating factor for this strange phenomenon, the creation of art. If subscription to the duty of enduring himself a place in the afterlife was the object, the artist could have found at all times more direct methods in his society for achieving that end. If by immortality we mean the one prophesied by the religionists, we can see that the artist could not have possibly considered himself the inheritor of such joys. Read the vituperations and the exhortations against the image makers of Isaiah and other prophets and marvel at the dire material tragedies which cursed both the makers of images and those who used them. The Mohammedans deny to those who even had the representations of the figure in their homes, all the sensuous joys of the Mohammedan heaven. In Byzantium, for a period of 118 years, the exercise of plastic realizations was forbidden by Christian law, and the destruction of, that is, vandalism against the great artistic productions of that era as well as the destruction of the Hellenistic sculptures which previous emperors had reserved and enshrined was considered an act in the service of God. The Turks, from another quarter, whitewashed the beautiful frescoes and pulled down the mosaics in the great church of Sophia. In Egypt, the artists work for immortality, but not his own for the enduring of his monuments of stone continued and prolonged the existence of man whom they represented rather than the artist who executed them. All in all, we can say 
that man has as often destroyed the work of artists in the hope of achieving immortality as he has hoped to achieve immortality to the creation of such work. Even as late as the 15th century, we have uh, Savonarola decrying the makings of pictures, inviting the populace to destroy them and imparting the fervor to the artists themselves, convincing them to add their own works voluntarily to the flaming pyre in the hope of gaining immortality. Among those artists was uh, Botticelli, who destroyed some of his best works, although he continued to paint. The Reformation, no doubt, accounts greatly for the turning of the Dutch to genre art, for they must have felt that Old Testament purism toward the presentation of spiritual things. This change constituted its own type of vandalism, for it contributed greatly to the decline of great classical art. Yet, the idea of immortality cannot be altogether discarded. There is a different type of immortality, the kind that man has instinctively perpetuated throughout this existence and which has, in the last hundred years, explained a great deal with comparative clarity. This is the notion of biological immortality, which involves the process of procreation, the extension of oneself into the world of the perceptible environment, very much as Shakespeare expresses in his sonnets. This relates the artistic process to every other essential process, one that is biological and inevitable. What I found really interesting about this chapter is the direct, of course, criticism from Rodko about uh, society and the role of the artist in society, um, its destiny, um, the injustice throughout history, the character of the work of the artist when it's really um, well done and starts to define the um, immortal character of uh, the human soul or the human spirit and how this contradiction clashes of course in uh, different um, the different um, areas of societies or in the different moments of transformation social uh, political religions uh, transformations uh, in the introduction of the book his son christopher analyzes very much uh, and these um, initial chapters of the book where Rodko is um, quite polemic and, and in some way is trying to uh, persuade the, the reader um, to agree with him in his protest against the status quo and the condition of the artist um, and his son Christopher says it's probably because Rodko um, felt a little bit um, uh, humiliated uh, through this period, uh, 1940-41, he was uh, going through a difficult period. Uh, personally, um, not, uh, not having a good moment uh, for the past years, he has been receiving um, money from the government, um, which was destined to artists to survive. He's been working as teacher, uh, art teacher for children, and um, he's been employed for um, unsuccessfully collaboration working at the jewelry shop of designing uh, uh, atelier shop from his ex uh, first wife 
uh, who was a jewelry designer. Um, Christopher believes that his father, uh, Mark, was going through a strong depression in those years. It was also a, a period of the, the war, the Second World War, and um, probably it's the time when he started to write the book. What he couldn't express through art, he was trying to express in a written form. This manuscript was never published. We know that it was found many years after the uh, Rodko's death by, by Christopher and uh, is uh, therefore, um, of course, edited and somehow uh, curated in a way that uh, it's possible to be read in the form of a book with a logical uh, sequence. Um, so the first chapters are more the polemic, uh, the protest uh, chapters, and then the later ones are more the philosophical ones. Uh, Christopher explains that um, the book was never finished and probably because Mark uh, became successful, but um, essentially he was able to communicate through his art, so he didn't uh, need to, to write anything about it. This is more the general optics of um, his son about the reality of these books and these manuscripts, but transcending um, the attitude of uh, the artist um, beyond his personal views on uh, society. Uh, his uh, key definitions about art and the role of the artist in society are really exemplar for those who, loves, um, who love um, Rodko's work, um, abstract expressionism in general, and of course modern art um, will find this book really inspiring, uh, exceptional, because it's difficult to find um, original material from Rodko uh, regarding um, more theoretical aspects of um, art, modern art, the role of the artist and its discipline in the modern world. This has been art as a natural biological function, one of these uh, key protest chapters of the artist's reality by Mark Rothko, edited by Christopher Rothko. It's been a pleasure, as always, we are going to be back in Archicast, uh, uh, continuing with this um, uh, series about uh, the artist's reality, uh, philosophies of art, and I think it's, um, it's a subject that uh, we are uh, loving very much. Uh, it has to do with our work and our research on Rodko, but uh, especially the subject um, is, uh, is a, a pivot, is a pivot uh, subject in this, um, in this period of the year. It allows us to um, easily discuss about art, architecture and um, 2020 and collaboration and economy and society and all the things that we consider to be very actual and very interrelated even though we are talking about uh, a manuscript that has been written uh, 80 years ago. It is very actual and it has very much to do uh, with the geopolitics and the local conditions in many European and American um, realities. Thank you for listening. Um, thank you for your feedback. We wait for your comments here in our group in Facebook and as well, of course, in oskidaniel.com slash podcasting. Till next time. Thank you. Bye bye.